millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, Novak Djokovic is into a 30-second Grand Slam final, which means that he tops the men's all-time list in that regard. He has surpassed Roger Federer on his measly 31 Grand Slam finals. He is still a couple behind Chris Evert, though, who leads the way on 34. So keep going, Novak. You You might get there eventually. He will go for a seventh Wimbledon title on Sunday against Nick Kyrgios. And that is because he beat plucky Brit Cam Norrie today in four sets. And I really think that Cameron Norrie deserves a proper official place among the tradition of plucky Wimbledon Brits now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's almost the definitive plucky Brit, except that he's way better than the vast majority of the ones that we would have called plucky Brits in the past. Um, oh yeah, and he's he's a really high quality plucky Brit. <laughs> yeah, he certainly. I mean, he can have no regrets about mm. his effort, application. I don't even really think his tennis. I mean, we'll get onto what happened in the match, but I think he 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 came up against somebody who asks different questions to everybody else that he would have faced, and so I don't think he played badly. And David, he did it all by channeling the spirit of 1991 Jimmy Connors. Cameron Norrie came out today with a brand new roundhouse fist pump just for you. <laughs> he did. And actually, you know, it's not not the most absurd of comparisons because I, I actually watched some footage of Jimmy Connors earlier this morning for something else. Just, just because he fancied it. Yeah, just fa- <laughs> fancy about three hours worth, actually. Um, but whilst their forehands are very different, Norris is a very heavily topspun, loopy one, and, and Connors was sometimes would underhit his in a way. Their backhands look very similar, really flat, really skidding through, and um, you know, it, and both left-handers. And as you say, I mean, look, Cameron Norris very, very quiet by comparison. But he first game, first game he, he breaks, leads one love, roundhouse fist pump, and I thought, good for you, you know, and and that set him off on the right sort of road didn't it yeah I felt Norrie played the match I was expecting him to play just with some additional roundhouse fist pumps uh, <laughs> he you know he came out he was intense uh, he was making a lot of balls and he caught a very very tight and nervous and flat Djokovic I mean I, f- I was really confused by that first set from Djokovic he, I mean he could barely find the court at times so many errors uh and there was a very very small moment where i did just think is Djokovic just completely flat today and he's not going to have anything and of course i don't even know why i allowed that thought to enter my mind because you know then he did what he always does and got it together i still don't think he ever hit real top gear uh, but he did a but he did enough to get his performance back on track, and he and he won sort of the key games in the second set, and from there he was really 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 dominant on serve, wasn't he? Barely lost points on his service games, but yeah, for that first set it was very very strange from Djokovic. And I've been I've been working through theories in my mind about why this is because it's becoming a bit of a pattern now with Novak Djokovic, and I wonder if it's if it's the 
the fact of him being the ultimate five set player, the ultimate five set match manager, maybe it's difficult deep down to psych yourself up for a, a fast start when you know you don't need one. You know, I, th- I think mm. of how quickly Nadal came out of the gates in their French Open quarterfinal because we knew he had to. We knew that the foot was a problem and the longer it went, the 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 bigger Novak Djokovic's chances were of winning. Everybody, you know, all the pundits going into that match were saying the first set is bigger for Nadal than it is for Djokovic. I wonder if just on a very deep level, if you know that even if you lose the first two sets, as you did against Yannick Stinner, you're still the odds-on favourite to win the match. Maybe it's quite hard to yeah. to come out the gates firing. I think there's something in that. I think you can become conditioned to a mm. certain feel and rhythm of a match. And I'm quite sure Goran is in his face saying... Get off to a fast start, serve properly, go after him, destroy him. Those are the sort of instructions I would expect from and Goran. And I'm sure Djokovic's head is saying, yep, that yeah. sounds like a great idea, Goran. I'm going to do just that. And instead but, he gets broken in the first game. But something deep in his muscle fibres is saying, you know what, Novak, it's fine. Chill for a bit. I do. I, I, do. I, think, I think you can end up with muscle memory that just doesn't necessarily do what you want it to do and uh, and we, we've seen it with players who often end up in a third set you know there were all these years oh murray puts us through it doesn't he that it wouldn't be murray if he didn't now obviously i think that goes too far sometimes but there are some players are ruthless and Djokovic in his early career uh, one of the things i noticed most most about him when he was still coming up was that he would beat people six two six two all the time he would just dis- dismantle people wouldn't just beat them with a you know six five six four seven five type scoreline. He would just destroy people um, because he's so efficient and he's got these laser like ground strokes and all the rest of it. But I do think in in the last couple of years he probably has got used to winning a certain way. And it really is true that he's done it a lot in the slams. It was a feature of his run to the one match short of the calendar Grand Slam last year. I think he I think he dropped the opening set. 10 times in slams last year and won nine of them and the only one he didn't win was that final against Medvedev and yeah he's done it he's done it this tournament um yeah it really is a feature of of, of his I mean I did think maybe there were other factors the fact that they had a not before start time made it a bit of a funny feel to it but obviously that would affect both players and also what happened yesterday Nadal pulling out to me, that changed the whole feel of today. It mm. made today feel a bit weird. And, you know, Nadal is so tied to Djokovic. You know, everyone was sort of thinking that they were going to be meeting in the final. And perhaps Djokovic was a little bit as well. And maybe that was just a little bit in his mind and gave it a bit of a strange feel. I don't know. I'm, I'm really speculating. But I was just trying to grasp at reasons why the mm. match felt a bit strange. And obviously, conversely, for, for Djokovic's opponents, they, they've got the opposite effect. They can come out of the blocks, play a brilliant set, you know, take the first set against Djokovic, as just as Karen Norrie did today. And yet, in the back of their mind, they mm. know that doesn't really impact their chances of, <laughs> of winning the match. It's sort of, it's not quite meaningless. It must make them wonder, though, because mm. I, I, I dare say when, you, when Yannick Sinner went two sets up, he doesn't know whether Djokovic against him is going to be the Djokovic that he's seen against everybody else from that position. He, you know, you might convince yourself, I, I reckon that wouldn't happen to me if I was two sets up. Because I was thinking this about Norrie. I thought if Norrie somehow managed to go two sets up, I don't see him fading physically. You've got, you'd have to outplay him. Um, so I was kind of hopeful for him on that on that level. Um, but when, once he was a setup, and and it's, I mean, it it wasn't about physicality this match it was about Djokovic's ability to to change things mm. um but yeah I, I do think that in both of those cases I can see that I'm sure that comes into play it's not it, it wasn't my favorite tennis match up this it wasn't my kind of tennis match just because they're both so similar I think and you know partly because although sort of four sets a little bit of jeopardy with Djokovic losing the first broadly from the outside it it looks like a a competitive match but none of the individual sets felt all that 
competitive when you were in them. I didn't think. David, you commentated sets four, two and four. Am I am I being unfair to the match? No, I don't think so. I mean, in in I enjoyed commentating on set four because although Cameron Norrie went down a break early on, there was this great kind of small narrative of him trying to keep close and he was hot, trying to hold on to his serve to prevent the double break and he did so in a, in a game that he saved four break points and he was doing it with the most daring tennis for Cameron Norrie I mean he's a he's a an attritional player that's really what he is he's a consistent ball striker he's a ball machine and a brilliant one but he was having to be daring and go down the lines really go after his shots in order to just keep Djokovic off him and somehow he managed to save those four break points when he was about 3-2 down with a break uh, or sorry 4-2 down with a break and narrow the score to to just a single game and then you've got that feeling of right now let's see if Djokovic in some way tightens as he's trying to serve this out let's see if Norrie can stay inspired maybe the crowd come into it and and they did I mean they were going after I think there were probably a few people in that crowd going after Djokovic and and he was responding to them Um, and that made it really fun to commentate on but at no point did you really feel like it was actually going to turn around once Djokovic had got in control. Let's remember, though, that the, the one and only previous meeting between these two, at the tour finals last year in Turin, where Cam Norrie had come in as an alternate, was, I mean, one side it doesn't even cover it. Hannah described it as a bloodbath well, I think, on, on Twitter I think this morning, and it, and it was. Norrie was embarrassed, I think. Mm. After, but I think it was a real learning process for what that level is like mm. if one of those guys plays well oh my word and even his dad <laughs> Gav Norrie's dad David Norrie was doing the rounds uh, on TV and on the radio today seems like an absolutely lovely chap but got the impression he didn't <laughs> think too highly of Cam's chances before the match today how did how did he describe the afternoon that he was anticipating <laughs> He said he thinks it's going to be a tough few hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it was their hype piece. You know, they were they were doing an hour's build up on the BBC. He seemed he seemed like a really lovely guy, and um, and he said he thinks he would rather be behind the sofa watching it than uh, there are sort different of out on the types court. of parents, aren't there? There mm. are the ones that have pictures of their children's faces on their emblazoned on their t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And we've all we've um, well actually I, I wasn't talking about Djokovic's parents there, but they have done that in the past. I'm, I'm thinking of you know days, your X Factor contestants where there's a <laughs> gaggle of fifteen people. You know you've got your neighbour's dog walker with a your face on their <laughs> chest, um, and then there's the David Norries of this world. And I know that uh, Rosalind and David Whitaker are nodding at, at their devices right now, going, "We are the David Norries of this world." Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, and uh, I, I wonder whether he just literally didn't think his son had much of a chance, or whether he was just talking about how anxious he was going to be for those few hours. I think it was quite a lot of the latter, for right. sure. Um, it's funny though, but it did sort of come across <laughs> as. Mm. <laughs> Last time he played Djokovic, he won three games. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had a Nick Kyrgios press conference today, didn't we? Because obviously there was no prospect of being able to speak to him, hear his thoughts after after the semi-final because there wasn't a semi-final. So he came into press to do his um, pre-final media um, and obviously gave his reaction to Rafael Nadal pulling out. He said he only got an hour's sleep last night after after he found out. And he was pretty open about the fact that, OK, he's physically, um, maybe it's a bonus to him to, to not get the extra tennis in his legs. But I think mentally he thinks this is not a great thing, that, that the rhythm of his tournament is disrupted now. Yeah, he was pretty candid about the fact that he's got days and days now to just think about being in the Wimbledon final. And he said he was really prepared for Nadal. He was thinking a lot about that match and suddenly that was gone. And his picture of what his next few days is like suddenly looked quite different. And I think that was, I think he he confronted that challenge and said, that is going to be something that I'm really going to have to deal with over the next couple of days. Um, I think normally I would be pretty worried about a player not having played what would it be Thursday Friday Saturday before a Sunday final 
That worries me a bit less with Kyrgios. I think he can probably show up and turn it on. Um, he sort of goes away for six months and shows and shows up and turns it on sometimes in matches. Um, he was very interesting in particular on how much he felt the Australian Open doubles title mm. run had helped him. And he said that was the first time he really realised what it meant to play like a two-week event and realising that your off days are kind of just as important as your match days. You've got to stay focused. You can't get distracted. And, that you know, it was the first time he'd won probably, what was it, six matches, I think, in that doubles back-to-back um, and sort of kept it up the whole way. And that's always been my doubt about Kyrgios. You know, he can do it on one match, but can you back it up seven times? Um, so I really felt like he had taken a lot from that Australian Open doubles, even though it was doubles rather than singles. It just made him realise what tournament play is all about. And you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have to ride the waves. And this is this is something he's got to deal with. And I think he'll be better placed to deal with it now, having had that run in Australia, than he maybe would have been without it, I suppose. I personally think... Nadal pulling out is incredible news for him. Um, mm. n- not least the fact that it has given him a buy into the final. I mean, he's never been in a semi-final, now he's in a final. So that's that's one piece of news. But dealing with Nadal would have been incredibly physically taxing, whether he won or lost, mm. and very mentally taxing as well, because Nadal, would, if he was even half fit, would have pushed him into waters that that he hasn't had to be in very often I suspect as a tennis player and and then to rebound two days later and face Novak Djokovic I I don't see how he would have done that I Mm. don't see how I mean yes okay Nadal half fit that might be another another matter but if he'd have played them I don't think he beats them back to back if they're fully fit I just don't see that he Pack can, hunter theory. Yeah. Mm. And and look, he's I don't think he's the fittest guy out there. I think he's fitter than he was. Um but now, coming in fresh, you would think. I think he's right in there, um, as a as a result uh, of this for the final itself. It, it it it's amazing to think about where the Nick Kyrgios Novak Djokovic relationship is now compared to two years ago. I've just been looking over the Novak Djokovic press conference transcript from today and he's being asked about a bromance. Well, that was the word Kyrgios used. Yeah. I, I mean... <laughs> In what we've regard? Co- we've come a I long way. I didn't see the presses these... today, so well, you'll have to tell well, me. Well, Kyrgios said that we now kind of have a bromance, me and Novak, because of the fact that Kyrgios was one of the players who was outspoken about defending Djokovic in Australia this year. Um, And he said that they now DM each other on Instagram. Djokovic slightly distanced himself from the word bromance. He did. He chuckled when it... it, Well, no, the first time it came up, he went, sorry, what? (laughs) The second time he sort of chuckled... And then he said, I'm not sure I'd use the word bromance. <laughs> I mean, you know... But then, but said, then said, look, our relationship has changed since January of this year. Mm. Kyrgios said some pretty extreme things mm. in the direction of Novak Djokovic back in the day on Ben Rothenberg's interview. And um, and, and subsequently as well. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I take the point that um, Djokovic was comforted do you, do you think there will be some edge once they're out there? Don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I think there could be. Certainly, think there could be. But I, I also, I suspect it will be just more of a tennis match. I think it will be a tennis match. I don't think it will be. I think it could get tense. It's a grand slam final. I would expect it to get tense. I think anything could kind of happen in Kyrgios's world on the court because we've never, never seen him in a grand slam final. We've and we've seen just about every type of reaction to goodness knows what else has happened to him in his career but I kind of think it will end up being a very close tennis match and it might only be three sets but I think all the sets would be close I think it could easily be four or five I think it's going to be close and I think Djokovic realizes that there was a line in his press conference saying that he wants it to be a mental game you know I think he knows that Kyrgios's tennis on a grass court, 
probably probably good enough to beat him. You know, I mean, he's mm. he's he's won all of their sets they've ever played, Kyrgios. Um, but both matches were back in 2017 when Djokovic was nowhere near his best. He was really struggling that year. It was a good time to play Novak Djokovic. But I think the sense I get is that Djokovic... Obviously, he'd love to blast Kyrgios off the court and win easily in, in straight sets. But I think he's banking on those tight moments that you point to, David, being and he being mentally tougher and more experienced and knowing how to deal with them better and bringing all that emotional experience and big match experience to those moments. And you would expect that that would all favour him. But he, he knows, tennis-wise, he's got a, a serious battle on his hands. He said that they haven't even practice together since they played in 2017 he's not he's not used to the Kyrgios ball he, he speaks absolutely glowingly about the Kyrgios serve he says it's kind of the best fluid motion in men's tennis you know and given Kyrgios isn't one of the giants he's got an unbelievable serve um, so Djokovic is very very wary of of the threat posed and personally I think he needs to play a lot better than he did today yeah there are lots of aspects of this this Kyrgios run and and this story that make me really uncomfortable and make it make it not fun to talk about. Quite quite obviously, the allegations hanging over him or the allegation hanging over him, um, how he's been in a lot of the press conferences, even as, even aside from that, has been quite unpleasant at times. I think and just sort of disagreeable. I would say. But just one thing I have enjoyed from Nick, Nick Kyrgios today was admitting how much he cares. Um, and we've always known all along that he cares and all this not caring or performatively not caring is one big defence mechanism. I know I'm doing armchair psychology again, but I feel pretty confident in this one. But I do like that he's just saying it. You know, he says, I'm already nervous. I'm already mm. sort of cripplingly nervous. And he said, oh, I don't usually get nervous, but I am. And he wants this one and he's happy to say he wants it. He's not sort of, he's not talking about how he would rather be being a basketball player, is he? And he's just sort of doing this because he can and earns him loads of money. And and I'm glad. Yeah, well, I'm it's... glad he's respecting the sports and the event enough to say that out loud and and himself yeah. as well because he's got a chance of being a Wimbledon champion a real chance and yeah <laughs> goes without saying obviously that that's huge yeah I, I agree that it's um, it's uh, it's better to hear him talk particularly on this stage and not just try and diss it or, or, or make light of it mm. um, and and actually it feels a bit of like an admission that okay maybe i maybe i was wrong in the past maybe I, maybe i was full of it maybe i was we we suspected all along that he cares and and that uh, that was just defense mechanism as you say but this sounds like an admission of that really um and so we'll see we'll see I'd, I, and I'll, I, it's good that he's he's talked about process all the way through the tournament and that's kind of what's got him here he's always had talent in his fist hasn't he but there he was not going beyond the quarter final so something's changed in the way he goes about his business day to day. He's trusted in that. Here are the results. How much circus do you expect there to be on Sunday? Maybe there won't be personal needle between the two of them, but it doesn't need to be personal for, for Kyrgios to bring the circus to town. Yeah, I think there could be. Well, if if by that you, you mean some uh, the odd through the legs shot or underarm serve or... I think there could definitely the, be that. The, the, the chuntering, the the um, well, the this, this, the stuff that he does to line judges, I very and much hope and all that, of that. that we don't see any of that because I find it horrendous uh, when he when he abuses people um, verbally on the court. I can't stand that, um, but I wouldn't rule it out because I think it's it's going to be really tense, and mm. and I don't. We'll see whether he can handle that. I definitely think we'll see. I think for him to win, he needs to serve, have one of his great serving days. And the, the, the chances of him winning are in close sets where he wins the important points. 
Mm. You know, which Djokovic is talking about. I think you're right. Djokovic hopes he wins those important mm. points. And that's what it's all about, I would imagine, unless Kyrgios comes and just doesn't really turn up. Because that's also a possibility. He may freeze. I don't think he will. I think he'll serve well. I think it will close. And I think, actually, he will need to be able to relax sufficiently in certain moments to bring out shots that would beat anybody in the world. Because he does have them. These combinations, these drop shot lobs, big shots, suddenly out of the blue, breaking up the rhythm. I think he needs to have a, a, a spell or two of that in order to get that break, in order to win that tie break. Um, it's, it's in there. What I'd love to see is him bring you a little bit of circus, but without the bad stuff. You know, like he used it. What I want to see, as we established a few days ago, is Washington mm. 2019, Kyrgios. Ask some people in the crowd where you should serve. I don't Do see the that. odd through the leg shot. Just don't spit at anyone or yeah, abuse I, I, anyone. I mean, the thing is, I think that kind of stuff with the crowd, I don't see that happening. I, I, I think he's going to be locked in in mm. terms of trying to hold that serve. There's no room for any of that. Mm. But I do think there's room for an underarm serve tactically or just to try to mess with the mind I think there's room for an un, uh, a through the leg shot because he can actually do it and stay in a rally just to break things up and make Djokovic think oh what's going on now um, so those are all about keeping your opponent off balance and off guard and keeping himself loose I yeah. suppose that's a point that you've made in the past ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So... Novak Djokovic against Nick Kyrgios in the Wimbledon men's singles final on Sunday. We'll have a bit more time to preview that tomorrow, of course, when we'll mostly be reacting to the women's singles final between two first-time Wimbledon and Grand Slam finalists, Elena Rabakina and Ons Jabeur. Now, we promised you yesterday that, um, well, we hoped to bring you a different perspective on Ons Jabeur. Reem Abelil, the, the freelance journalist who works for, uh, writes for all sorts of um, organisations, the National, Eurosport, CNN, I think, and uh, she's followed Ons Jabeur's career right from the start. We're talking about somebody here that's known her since she was 16 years old and followed her journey ever so closely, no better perspective to, to be heard on Ons Jabeur. So she's very kindly um, done some voice notes for us because we love a voice note <laughs> here at TP Towers, don't we? And the first thing I wanted to know from Reem was when it first occurred to her that Ons could be a future Grand Slam finalist or even champion. I think... Uh... From the start of the season, even end of last season, I spent some time with Ons in December when she came to play the Mubadala exhibition. She was a last-minute stand-in for Amara Dukano, 
uh, and I saw, I don't know, a different air around her. She, in general, the last couple of seasons, she's been setting bigger goals and she's been very confident in vocalizing these goals and telling everybody about them. And she somehow drew strength and confidence from telling everybody, I want to be a top 20 player. And, and when she did break the top 20, she said, I want to be a top 10 player and then top five. And, and just from the beginning of this year, I felt that she's just aiming higher. She's not content at all by saying, oh, I made a Wimbledon quarterfinal or an Australian Open quarterfinal. Oh, I almost made it to WTA finals. I think the fact that she just missed out on qualifying for Guadalajara end of last season, she was so close, pipped by Anat Contevate at the very last second for that last spot. And then also Ons was injured, so she couldn't even go to Guadalajara as an alternate. For some reason, she, the, what she took away from that, instead of feeling sorry for herself or getting bummed for falling just short of becoming like the first Arab woman to ever make it to the WTA finals, she was like, oh no, I'm, I'm just gonna aim much higher. I wanna be top five, I wanna win more titles, I wanna win a slam, so, I, and whenever she says stuff like that, I believe her because having covered her since, since she was 16, obviously it took her a long time to realize these goals, but I could see that she's one of the most determined people I've ever met. She just knows that she takes her time. And once she acknowledged that it's a journey, you have to wait for your time, wait for your moment. Once she re realized that, she has total belief in in herself and the fact that she will achieve those goals so if you ask me when did i first think that she could be a grand slam finalist or champion i would say from the start of this year in particular maybe a little bit last year but definitely start of this year well that's really interesting because a video started circulating today a wta video an interview they did with Anshaba at the very start of the season in january and she's asked to make a prediction for her year. And she says, I'm going to win Wimbledon. And just like Reem describes there, there's something... She doesn't do bluster or hyperbole on Shabur, does she? When she says something, you just believe her. You know, as as Reem said, she might, she might take her time and have to be patient. But you know it's for real. Well, I got a chance, if you remember, on the podcast to interview her. I can't remember whether it was last year or the year before. And uh, I was really taken by the way she said, I want titles. I want to win a title. She hadn't won one at that point. And now now she has. You know, obviously, she, well, it didn't take too long either. And uh, I, when I think back, it's a similar feel. You know, she looks you in the eye and she says it. And her whole kind of personality comes through her her whole face just lights up because she is gonna go and try and do it and, it, and she's gonna go after it and she believes she can and it's it really is uplifting yeah it's a really interesting balance she walks between laying out those goals quite clearly and then also being realistic and realizing that it takes time and i think reem really pointed that out and it was something when I asked Jabir in in Paris on the eve of the tournament I said do you feel a need to capitalize on this brilliant form you're in this moment you're in you know she's coming into Roland Garros for the first time as one of the favorites you know behind Igor Sviantec but people were talking about her and I just thought you know how long does a moment last and you know is this her chance does she feel this is her chance and she said no because everything, everything in time, and therefore, when she lost in round one, I remember thinking back to that and thinking, okay, well, she's not going to be completely distraught by that because she'll realise, okay, it's not my time. And she said on the eve of Wimbledon this year, didn't she? She had a feeling about Wimbledon, and I, I find it fascinating how she's able to, um, yeah, very, very clearly lay out her goals, but also, but also realise that there's work and time required to achieve them it's been the story of her career progress step by step year on year and here she is it's reminding me Ons Jaber and Wimbledon this year is reminding me a bit of Simona Halep in Wimbledon in 2019 remember she was she was defending her French Open title that year and yet when she lost it was to Amanda Anisimova wasn't it in 2019 she lost it at the French Open 
before that match, I interviewed her then coach Daniel Dobrev, and he said, "Yeah, it's it's a big match. Simona wants to win it, but Wimbledon's been the goal all year." And I remember being really taken aback by that and thinking, "Wow, she's she's defending her French Open title here. She's." kind of still talked about as a clay court specialist and here he is laying it out that Wimbledon is and always has been the goal this year and lo and behold she goes and wins Wimbledon and this has a similar feel about it to me that yeah she was she was in it to win it at the French Open and would have loved it but it's always been this one this has been the plan I actually think as well having a disappointment like that if you remember Halep losing to Ostapenko that was the final she was supposed to win and she still came back and then won it again, you know, when when she got another chance. And that will always impress me because I can't imagine how you cope. I can't imagine how it doesn't come into your mind. And uh, you two were both insistent, having spoken to Ansgeber, no, that is not going to happen at Wimbledon just because it happened at the French Open. And I was unconvinced by that because I I could see that being a problem. And she's banished that thought. And it's just so impressive to do that mentally mm-hmm. she's so much more than than maybe I gave her credit for as a, as a kind of competitor well that kind of leads me on nicely to the to the second question I asked Reem which is what what's different about her here to to all the slams we've seen her play play in the past including the last slam that we saw her play just a few weeks ago I see a lot of differences in ons all the time And yet she's also managed to keep her core and her essence the same. Like she's still the friendliest person, the most humble person, doesn't take herself too seriously, super nice to everybody, can joke with the barista at a tournament, like can make friends with like the the woman who was singing in the lobby of her hotel in Wuhan. I would go and meet Ons at the hotel and I'd find her hanging out with with the woman who was singing in the lobby. And like, she, she's still that very same person. But in terms of how she, how different she is as a player, I feel she's grow, growing every single week. Um, the biggest difference is the fact that she's not content. Like, I think that whereas before maybe she didn't think she could go farther than she's gone before. Now she really believes she can do better. She doesn't She doesn't see the obstacles as something that's just like, oh, well, you know, we're from Tunisia. I don't have the resources. I don't have this. I maybe don't have these sponsors. Oh, no, I got injured. I don't know what to do. That, that mentality has gone out the window completely. Um, I, I think that when she's in trouble on court, something clicks and she can she knows that she can get out of trouble most of the time we saw it with Boskova we saw it when she dropped the second set against Tatiana Maria she's like it's not a problem I'm gonna click into a different mode um even the negative body language that she would sometimes have like there was a season I remember when she was starting to play much better but then as soon as one match would not go her way she would start pouting and look so negative and stuff like that um and she doesn't do that much anymore it's very brief when she does do it I think her game is way more complete. I think that last year she made a huge, huge, huge progress with her serve. And then now she's added so many other things as well. Um, Her point selection is very clever at the moment. The way she can adapt to different uh, opponents and different games. Uh, So that's a big difference as well. If you even just look like compared to last year at Wimbledon and this year, because her Wimbledon last year was very impressive. She had to beat Venus and Muguruza and Iga Zviontek. But um, when she finished last year, she was like, oh, no, I'm going to win next year. And she was right. She was outside the top 20 same time last year. Now she's number two in the world. That that gives confidence. She's taken confidence from that. Instead of thinking, oh, this is pressure. She's like no problem like I'm number two people respect me what happened in Paris I think is that that was the first time for her to go to a tournament where what there was that much hype around her she was the number two favorite behind Iga so many eyes on her I could see every day like cameras were following her everywhere and players knew oh my god like I'm gonna ha- if I if I get her in the first round I'm getting the Madrid champion and so Magdalenette stepped on court like throwing everything at Ons and Ons had never been in a situation where people are really seeing her as a favorite and people are really gunning for her. People know she's consistent or she's playing well, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to face someone so dominant I have to 
do everything possible to beat her. So basically, she wasn't used to that. She wasn't used, and especially that she was scheduled on the Sunday as well. So like, her tournament lasted only a few hours. So the scheduling didn't help. She wasn't ready for it. What I loved was how she reacted to that. Like immediately, she was like, "You know what? I'm learning from this. I'm gonna do better." And she was very well prepared coming to Wimbledon. There was already a lot of hype around her with playing doubles with Serena and Eastbourne, and then training with Serena before the tournament. But actually, she took so much confidence from that entire experience. She she was very clever with how she prepared for Wimbledon. Even she she withdrew from the semifinals and doubles with Serena. Which, let's be honest, that's quite bold because Serena wanted the match play and Ons pulling out is like that decision was also shows how serious she was about going far at Wimbledon. Do you know? I just assumed that that withdrawal from the doubles in Eastbourne was a Serena-led decision that maybe Ons Jabeur also was fine with for for similar reasons preparation for Wimbledon but I just assumed it was Serena really mm. that led the way there yeah um and it seems I mean maybe it was 50 50 I don't know but doesn't sound I, like I, it. no I certainly I certainly trust Reem's take on the situation uh, and that's you know that's a little bit of killer instinct there isn't well, it well a little snapshot was seen in the doubles wasn't it when Serena's lining up a double-handed backhand to power away, and instead, Angebert cuts her off and hits her <laughs> own trademark manoeuvre, the backhand drop shot for a clean winner. And it's still one of, it'll be one of my favourite gifts of all time, I think, forever <laughs> in tennis, that the fact that you saw them both in, in shot lining up those shots. And I think that that's just a snapshot of her confidence and self-belief and assurance that she belongs at the, at the top level and she doesn't need to just defer all the time um, and she should trust her own instincts and she's going out to get it for herself now and I think it's it's very easy for a nice person and she clearly is a kind decent person to not have a ruthless streak and yet doesn't need to be the case and she's showing it. She can st- still be all those things that Reem describes, and yet she can be a winner. She can be a champion. That much is the bit I doubted, and she's proved that she can be, at least to this point she has, and I, I think she'll end up proving she will be. I love that we've got all these women at the top of the game that are clearly delightful people <laughs> with their feet on the ground, but also are dead-eyed assassins. Well, the Ashbarty comparison is so yeah. easy to come up with, and even the final itself, the fact she's playing... Rebecca and Barty played Pliskova. It, it, it has mm. a very similar feel. The final question I asked Reem was a pretty big one, really. What this means, what the significance of it is in Tunisia and in the entire Arab world for, for women, for girls, for asp- aspiring sports people. What does it all mean? How much could it change things? I think Onsa's Wimbledon run, for some reason, has really just exploded across the whole Arab world, like more than anything I've ever seen. I mean, she started the tournament as the world number two, and I think that hit a lot of people who aren't even that connected to tennis. Like, I could see so many people messaging me, asking me about her. Oh, my God, the world number two in tennis is Tunisian tell us more. So the fact that she started the tournament as the world number two, highest ranked African woman ever, that kind of stuff already resonated with so many people. And just the way that she's made it through this tournament... Um, it's having a huge, huge reaction, like not just in Tunisia, it's pan-Arab. Like I just did so many different TV interviews with all these pan-Arab news channels and the amount of attention they're giving to the story. It's not just like a quick two minute hit. They, they have like 10 minute reports, people on the ground in Tunisia talking to fans. As you know, they call her the Minister of Happiness in Tunisia. And the reason they were calling her that is there was a lot of political turmoil and economic problems in Tunisia over the past few years. And basically, she was the reason they were happy. Like, she gave them a reason to celebrate. And that kind of Minister of Happiness tag is now extending to the whole Arab world. We're taking so much pride. I think people don't understand why the Arab world is all celebrating Owens White, not just Tunisia. For us, it's a very, it's a shared, it's a shared culture. Um, 
it's a mostly Muslim population across the 300 million people living in the Arab world. And we don't have that many people doing what she's doing. And she's doing it with a Tunisian coach and a Tunisian fitness coach who's her husband. And she lives in Tunisia, trains in Tunisia. So she's telling people, you actually don't need to travel and leave your families and and don't blame all these excuses and all the stuff of oh i don't have funding i don't have this or that she's telling people i can do it so can you and it's making a huge difference as an arab woman and a muslim woman the fact that she's going to play a wimbledon final on the first day of eid al-adha is just amazing it's it's the biggest holiday muslim holiday of the year for us it's a it's a it's a holiday that's all about being with family um helping the poor you know you 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 feed the poor you give them meat it's a big part of the 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 holiday as well you barbecue with your family have these big meals and she's never had the chance to actually spend it that much with her family because she's always on tour competing and the fact that she's gonna be com- competing in a Wimbledon final on the first day of Eid al-Adha where everybody's going to be on holiday, the entire region is off, everyone is going to be at home with their families, I'm sure there's going to be so many TVs switched on on that match on Eid on Saturday. And um, it's it's huge. It's huge because Onsa's, in general, her character is why so many people have fallen, have fallen in love with her. Like for me, if she was Yes, if she was doing all these things that are unprecedented for the region and all of that, yes, it would have resonated with a lot of people. Not as much as the way it is right now, because she is just telling people, you can be nice, you don't have to be cutthroat, you don't have to be a certain way, you don't have to have a chip on your shoulder, you don't have... that. She she has none of that. Like she's, she's just like being herself and telling everybody, I love what I do and I can beat whoever I want, I can achieve whatever I want, it doesn't matter where I'm from. It matters because she wants to inspire others from that region, but it's also she's telling people, doesn't matter in terms of it won't stop you from achieving things. Um, I think it's huge. I, I also think that the cultural significance also of it, I've been in tennis for over a decade. I'm always the only Arab around. Always. Always the only Arab in the room, only Arabic speaker, the only Muslim most of the time. So with Ons now, I'm seeing images coming out of the All England Club with people singing Arabic chants and making all these different Arabic celebrations and stuff. And I'm like, that's just huge. I can see all the Grand Slam accounts tweeting stuff like... Uh, uh, when it was Ramadan, they were tweeting Ramadan Mubarak from all like the tournament accounts. When it was Eid, and when she was in Madrid, and it was the other Eid, the smaller feast, and she won a match in Madrid, all the tw- tennis accounts were tweeting like Happy Eid and Ons wins on first day of Eid and all that. And it's just nice. It's just nice to show that tennis is multicultural and is accepting to all cultures and is acknowledging all these, you know, all these different diverse people in the sport. It can only help, to be honest, and it's gonna touch so many more lives as a sport in general. Tennis has always seen all oh, the Europeans and the Americans are the ones who do well, and that's pretty much it. Maybe some Aussies, blah blah blah. Now we're seeing Asians, and then now we're seeing someone from Africa. It's huge. Makes me quite emotional hearing Reem describe all that, actually, and that it, you know, one of one of tennis's best hands one of its aces in the pack is how global and multicultural it is and yet you know that doesn't that doesn't mean that there aren't black spots and you know barring barring the odd bit of success here and there africa has been you, you know a- absent from the top of the game and this is just i don't know i just think this could be absolutely huge she could be the very definition of a role model in every possible way yeah she could be a catalyst couldn't she mm. um and uh, actually it's it's great hearing reem's voice on our show talking about this because we know reem to be this tireless reporter mm. who is who is so passionate about tennis and passionate about the region she's reporting on most of the time and often the events and the obviously international events coming or uh, international players coming to those events but the players within the region as well and and it's great to see all the attention focusing on her and and, and on Jaber and the stories that she wants to tell um 
and this is just a great opportunity, I think, in, in so many ways, as she so very well put. And the fact that she leans into it as well is just absolutely massive. And maybe that was part of what cost her at the French Open. You know, she talked about that. She, she, she talked so much, didn't she, in her pre-tournament press conference about how excited she was to play not just for herself but for Tunisia and the whole Arab world and there were so many Tunisian flags weren't there in in the Philippe Chatrier that day and that does invite extra pressure onto her shoulders and maybe they couldn't bear any more weight than what they were already bearing in in Paris going in as as many people's second favorite but rather than shift the weight she learns how to take more um, and I think that's incredible, really, because there are plenty. It's an incredibly demanding, selfish sport. There are plenty that don't want to accept extra weight on their shoulders, and it is absolutely commendable that that she does. And um, I can't wait for tomorrow's final. I've predicted Jabir in three. I think it could be, you know, contrast of styles. We always say it. It bodes well. I think. Yes, I'm really excited for it. I think Jabir's got lots of different game styles, I suppose, lots of different ways she could win this match. I could I could see her winning it with different tools, I suppose. I guess my question is, are any of those tools effective enough to stop Rybakina if she just has a day where she's hitting her spots on serve timing the ground strokes you know is this match on Rebecca's racket I suppose or does Jabir have the skills to throw Rebecca off and make her malfunction a bit I I don't quite know I think it's one of those ones I need to see it um, but I'm going with Jabir the power of the story i mean how how can you kind of not i suppose yeah i tell you when you look at the people that rebecca has beaten including mm. bianca andrescu yeah. who no i didn't see the match no doubt she threw in some stuff to try to discombobulate i saw quite a lot of that match she threw in some stuff yeah and she got beaten in two close sets mm. and that's one of several really good wins for rebecca to, to to get to this point and uh the question mark for me is whether she is able to just do it in the final. You know, it's all eyes on. Will she Will she be nervous or not? There was a moment yesterday when she came out onto the court with Simona Halep and, um, and Annabelle Croft pointed out that the stadium was about a third full because the, the three-setter that had gone before had taken everybody out of the stadium for a while to have a break. So in a way, that helped Rebecca get used to centre court on semi-finals day because it wasn't jam-packed from moment one. It gradually filled, and she felt that helped her. And I, I think, thought that was that made a lot of sense. And that's it's not going to be like that tomorrow. It's going to be jam-packed. It's going to be mm. occasion. It's going to be centrepiece. This is what it's all about. Showpiece match. F- Wimbledon final. Will she be able to keep that out of her mind? Will either of them? You know, it's, it's a... But I think it's a bigger question mark for Rebecca now because she, she needs to dominate. Mm. Whereas... I think Jabir can find a way more. Mm. 2pm tomorrow for the women's singles final, followed by the men's doubles final, Matt Ebden and Max Purcell against Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic. Number one court is the setting for the girls' singles final, and it's got the top seed in it, Liv Hovde of the United States, and she takes on an Advardi. Now, we have Panna Advardi, who is a, a professional senior player now. And this is Luca Advardi, I, I think her younger sister. Well, it has to be younger, and mm. they definitely are sisters. So Confirmed. Definitely her younger sister. She's uh, the seventh seed from Hungary. Uh, there's also the gentlemen's invitational doubles match between Tommy Haas and Mark Philippoussis and Arno Clement and Mikhail Lodra on court one tomorrow. Court three uh, is where you'll find the women's wheelchair singles final between Dida de Hutt, the top seed, and the second seed, Yui Kamiji. And that's followed by the men's wheelchair doubles final. And that will be Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed, who we were watching 
this evening on court number one, winning through a thriller of a semi-final. I mean, Alfie Hewitt must just be spent right what now. What day he's had. And what was that? He, he was 6-2, 5-1 down today. Unbelievable. In singles. And then he turned that second set round somehow. Amazing atmosphere on court one. He then went a breakdown in the third set, didn't he? And turned that one round um, against Gustavo Fernandez. And then he was asked in his interview, you've got to come out and play play doubles soon. And that one went to a deciding set tiebreak. So he's he has spent a long time on court one today. It finished under the roof. Just a just a great day for wheelchair tennis out mm. there on court one. I was, I was so pleased, given all the conversations that we had the other day about their court 14 scheduling, um, that they got court one today. Yeah. And it was it was proper and... It was packed, um, especially for that singles. And, yeah, just great, great matches. Has to have been, I think, the, the biggest crowd that wheelchair tennis has ever had in this country. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was at least seven or 8,000 yeah. people in there. Which it is was incredible. And, and a lot more on TV as well. It was fantastic. So, yeah, and then he won through the, the, the doubles with Gordon Reed this evening, Under the Roof, and they'll take on uh, Gustavo Fernandez and Shingo Kanida in the men's wheelchair doubles final tomorrow on court number three. There is also, uh, out on court 14, uh, the quad wheelchair singles semi-finals. Niels Vink, the top seed, taking on Heath Davidson. And uh, the other one is David Wagner against Sam Schroeder. Um, some other bits and bobs from today... Uh, we had winners in the women's doubles semi-finals. Barbora Krachikova and Katerina Siniakova frankly look unstoppable. This match was on centre before uh, the Cameron Norrie Novak Djokovic match. Two and two for them over Kitchenok and Ostapenko. I mean, they're just breathtakingly good as a doubles partnership, aren't they? Yeah. Siniakova, Krachikova. In the final, they will face Elisa Mertens and Zhong Shuai. Uh, they beat Daniel Collins and Desiree Kravchik 6-3 in the third. Um, we also had the mixed doubles final that was played yesterday evening, didn't we? Um, that was about to start at the time of our initial recording because Matt Ebden decided to have the busiest day of all time. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, he couldn't complete... Uh, the perfect day. He lost out in the mixed doubles final alongside Sam Stozer to Neil Skubsky and Desiree Kravchik, the aforementioned Desiree Kravchik. They defended their mixed doubles title, which is incredibly rare. I know it has been done before. No one's done it three times and they have confirmed that they intend to oh, really? to go for the unprecedented three piece. I do love that. I mm. love it when doubles, you know, you just mentioned Krichika and Siniakova. I love it when a doubles team sticks together and kind of builds a bit of a dynasty. And, mm. uh, and that would be a really interesting, that's a good story for next year. And it's even rarer in mixed doubles, isn't it? I mean, yeah. those partnerships rarely last beyond one tournament, frankly. Yeah, I mean, they often spring up about 12 hours before the tournament starts. Yeah, and I would just say... I think the mixed doubles tournament starts on Friday the first week and they've now, it used to be the final match on the Sunday, didn't it, after the men's singles final and it's now last match on Thursday. So the mixed doubles tournament lasts less than a week mm. and that seems a shame to Yeah, me. I, I certainly, I don't know how our listeners feel about it. I know when I was a kid, I used to, I used to watch the mixed doubles final as the final match of the tournament and I've got some really fond memories of the 80s watching... John Lloyd and Wendy Turnbull won the doubles and Joe Jury and Jeremy Bates and, and uh, there was Steve Denton who I was showing you some video of the other day uh, just with this massive serve. And, you know, I'd, I would find it absolutely fascinating. It, and it did feel like this perfect dessert after you've mm. seen these huge singles finals, just a totally different feel. I know my wife and kids, they, they were watching loads of mixed doubles the last few days and, uh, and doubles generally, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they they've certainly moved it for good reasons. I mm. think that they wanted to give it a certain slot and not have it after, after what they kind of regard as the final match of the tournament. But um, I'm slightly sad about it. Mm. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I appreciate the sort of trying something new and trying to elevate it. I just, I'm not sure it's quite 
quite works. Anyway, I just love mixed doubles. I think. Oh yeah, it's the know, best L- form of doubles. It I is think. the best form of doubles. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. I guess no one's no one's quite ready for a final on Thursday. No. Weekend is the final. Yeah, I was taken aback to see that it was <laughs> Thursday. I wasn't. It wasn't emotionally prepared. Goodness knows how Matt Ebden felt about it. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll update you on uh, how the men's doubles final goes tomorrow and uh, all those various other finals that I just mentioned on the order of play for Saturday. we got two more daily Wimbledon podcasts to go. The end comes around so quickly, doesn't it? It's sort of the first week goes on forever and then suddenly yeah. the end is coming around. The, the, the sort of rhythm of these tournaments never fails to sort of take me by surprise. Yeah, yeah, same. Anyway, Willow, lovely Willow. You've hey. got two more Wimbledon Daily Podcasts to be our wonderful mascots. David, Darwin, how did you do? How did I do today? You uh, got points, David. Did I? Balls. <laughs> What did I say? Djokovic in three? Four? Four? Oh. No, I said Djokovic <laughs> yeah, in three. Yeah, I said Djokovic in three. I totally forgot that I've got points. Mm. I'm not making this up. Oh, I'm delighted. Carter Wimbledon <laughs> has been uh, an unmitigated <laughs> catastrophe for oh, us, so yeah. we shan't dwell. And uh, Matt and dearly departed Gerald didn't fare well today either. Uh, Billy Jean. Is sponsored by Billie Jean King and oh. Alana Kloss. I love the way I have ears picked pricked yeah. up when you said that. <laughs> they did. When we were round at... Um, actual Billie Jean Actual Kings. Billie Jean King's place for, for, for curry the other night. Two sets of ears pricked up when I <laughs> <laughs> sternly shouted Billie Jean. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Billie Jean. <laughs> Sit. <laughs> no, not you. <laughs> Quiet. Um, <laughs> no, definitely not you. Uh, we've got our executive producers, Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee. They are both top blokes. And Matt, we've got shout outs. We have Peter Carey in Victoria, Canada. Oh, oh. I didn't know there was a Victoria in Canada. I thought that was only in Australia. Hello, Hello. Peter. Hello, Peter. Like Peter Fleming. Peter McNamara. Pete. Ter Sampras, as Greg Rosensky <laughs> used to call him, and it he used to really wind him did. up. He, he, start, he did that when he came <laughs> on the Champions Tour as well, yeah. and Sampras sort of only played one tournament and never, uh, never I, came I, back. I remember, I remember Sampras on a, on, a, on a massage table once, and uh, Greg walked in and said, Hey, Peter, like this, and you could see Pete just smiling <laughs> through gritted teeth as if he just wants to just shut. Stop calling me that! <laughs> Peter, thank you ever so much for your support. We've also got Andy Thorpe, who is a proud Yorkshireman but has lived in Loughborough ever since he went to uni there, David, in 1986. Top man, Andy. Oh, Andy's maybe a bit older than me then, because that was before I went. There's an obvious Andy um tennis well there's a couple of obvious tennis andys and that has actually reminded me sorry to andy andy thorpe to to piggyback piggyback this tragic news onto his shout out but um andy murray has said goodbye to his lovely dog today oh oh no r.i.p maggie may one of the best tennis dogs she had Mm. her own twitter account and everything Mm, so, but andy thorpe our, our thoughts are with andy murray and our thanks are with andy thorpe correct Thanks very much, Andy. And our final shout-out is for Rio with a Y. Hey! Who was our mascot a few years ago, and um, Rio declares himself vice-chairman of the Sitsipals. Who's the chairman? Sitsipas himself. Probably. Maybe (laughs) Pasta Loss. Has Rio got any points in this? Yeah, I would like to thank... Rio's struggling. I would like to thank Rio with a Y in particular for saving me from the wooden spoon in the Wimbledon predictions contest. Mm. Okay. Still two days to go. (laughs) (laughs) What's Rio gone for for tomorrow? I can't wait. How extreme. Or or is it just like me going for Novak Djokovic to win a first round just to get something? Rio Rio with a Y definitely had a, a... Hail Marys from day one approach to predictions. Yeah, you you really need one of those to come off yeah. early doors, don't <laughs> you? You do. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there, Rio. Yes, my approach is always try and get off the just off the mark with a couple of safe yeah. ones, and then go for your Hail Marys. 
mm. a single. Mm. Yeah. Just nudge one out. Yeah. To you don't want to be out for naught. Need on? Is mm. it? <laughs> <sighs> anyway, I, I've inadvertently brought things back to predictions hell. Rear with a Y, thank you ever so much for your support. Yeah. I'm not going to tell people to sign up to the lo- newsletter because the only people that haven't are losers and we don't <gasps> want them anyway. Oh my God. Why wouldn't they have signed up, Matt? Why wouldn't they? Well, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to call them losers, though. <laughs> well, people that are missing out on excellent content, then. Yeah. More fool yeah. them. Um, you can become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. Seeing as I've been so nice to you, why don't you become an official friend of the Tennis Podcast? Um, the, link to do, the link to do that is in our show notes. I'll promise never to call you a loser if you uh, if you become our friend. Um, do you well, think we have some friends who aren't newsletter subscribers? Oh, surely yes, not. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. What's the yeah. Mm. I can't, I won't call them losers though because <laughs> they're our friends and they're exempt. Um, tell you, tell you, tell your friends, your actual friends. I've dug myself a hole here, haven't I, David? Oh dear. <laughs> uh, tell, tell your friends. Leave us an Apple Podcast review, and uh, we'll speak to you tomorrow. And I'll try not to be rude. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 